And who would have known that it was going to be 2020? Uh, man, we had so many hiccups. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Tori Mathis, and I'm here with the one and only Sean Mathis, founder of Miles Through Time Automotive Museum. How's it going? And Sean had a really big day on this past Saturday. Tell them about your big day, Sean Mathis. It marked the official one-year anniversary in our new location. Uh, one year of, of uh, COVID museum, good times. <laughs> well, well, Sean actually decided to move the museum the year before, so 2019, 19. near like the middle of the season, but by end of the year, he was ready to move to a new location, uh, which took a lot of coordination and figuring all that stuff out. But you actually started moving things into there the end of 2019, right? Uh, no, no, that was the plan. So the plan to move the museum occurred I think we were officially going to do it uh, in by August. It was like, okay, we're gonna we're going to move it. And in the original location, the museum was only open in the summertime, so from April and then uh, October first, we we closed the museum down completely because again, it was only me. And after October or after was it Labor Day? Yeah, I think you tried to go a couple weeks after, and it was just yeah, never. Yeah, it's worth just it. <laughs> like no nobody came in. Um, and so I, I stopped. And so the, the plan was, once we knew we were going to have a new location to move to, uh, I was just going to close down in April, like normal. And then you spend that time over the winter, um, giving us until April to then open in the new location. You said close down in April. So you meant you were going to close, close down, down in, in, Octo in October. October, okay. Open by April of 2020. And who would have known that it was going to be 2020? Uh, man, we had so many hiccups before we even got to any of this COVID but, but crap. But that's always a part of business. And I think some people get so discouraged with even little hiccups or the fact that things could happen. Like, things are always going to happen, and you definitely had them happen. Yeah, so right, right off the bat, the museum moved into a portion of the old Clarksville Mill, which is, which is a, a gigantic old mill. Uh, from the 50s, I believe it is, or was. And um, the, there is an antique mall there. And we actually were going to take a portion of the antique mall space that wasn't really being utilized. There's, uh, there's like flea market, like it was literally crap. It was, there's, there was crap in that space. What's crazy though, is that we had been there two years before. It was only a year before. through. It, uh, it was, was the, it was the night we stayed up in in Tacoa because Paul Milliken from Good Day Atlanta was coming first thing in the morning. Okay, so I thought that was a little bit longer. So a year before before we had even decided to move, we walked into that space. There was a couple of little automotive like there was some gas pumps or something up there, and we'd be like, "This would be a cool spot for the museum." Yeah, this really would. And holy crap! Like who would have thought that that did end up being the new spot for the museum? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah. So the the first thing we had to do was clear some of the crap out, um, and I mean there was there was quite a bit of crap that we had to, to clear, and some of it we couldn't actually do ourselves. And then there was the ceiling; we had to actually paint the ceiling black. Oh my gosh, I forgot about this. Yeah. And that had to be done before anything else could be done. 
Uh, and then there was a um, the guy that owns the antique mall only gave us a portion of this big room, which means he he, he built a wall dividing half of the room, uh, about half the room, and so we couldn't we couldn't do anything until the room was cleared out, the wall was built, and the ceiling was painted, and this took months to to get this done. I, like we we planned on on weeks by within weeks we'd be able to start. You know, building exhibits and doing things in there. And this just tells you, like, no matter what you plan for, like, you really never know what problems are going to happen. Like, you can't plan for this stuff at all. You just got to, like, drive forward no matter what, right? Yeah, and I mean, we were doing this on, on zero budget. And then I wound up finding a, a professional painter that would volunteer painting the ceiling for us in exchange for, you know... Publicity, basically, and we, and we paid for the paint, uh, and he wound up just dragging his feet and dragging his feet, uh, and then I, I finally I was like, "Dude, what's what's going on?" I tried to reach out to him, and I found out that he had passed away, uh, and so like, like wh- what are the odds of that? And so we, I mean, we literally wasted I think it was two months just waiting on the ceiling to get done that in fact was never going to get done, uh, and so Truett and I we actually wound up. Uh, doing it ourselves, putting scaffolding in there, and we knocked the entire ceiling out in two days. And after that, then it became a gigantic mess to clean up the floor. Uh, And then, after all that, we finally, I think it was January, we finally actually started to do something that would make it resemble somewhat of a museum. So, I mean, we, and, and then... We, we we had to start moving in cars and doing a few different things, and it was, I mean, that that took a couple of months. And next thing you know, it's, uh, holy cow, this COVID thing is starting to happen, and any volunteers that we had, they started to trickle away, and and it was down to just true and I to try to, to do something to get this thing open, but then it was like, do we open? Can we open? I was, I didn't expect any of that. It was not easy to transition. So it's been really interesting because it wasn't a normal year. You're still not even able to see if like this is normal. Like all these people that I've seen quite a few people that have opened businesses just like right before COVID hit that it's just you kind of aren't able to judge or or really review or see how things are going because things are just still a little bit a little bit not normal. COVID actually delayed us being able to open, but because of that, then actually helped us to give us more time to get more of what we wanted done before we opened. Um, but then by the time we we did open, uh, it it was full blown. You know, people not willing to go outside or go anywhere or any of that kind of stuff. And yet we still had it. I mean, we had a pretty decent turnout for the grand opening. And when was that? That was like in June, right? No, um, it was in May. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah. First, first weekend of May. So we did a soft opening is, is the reason the date's a little bit different. We originally uh, opened officially the last weekend of April, and then we did a, a formal cruise-in, welcoming, car show type deal the following Saturday. And we wound up having uh, 450 people visit the museum in one day. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Which... I'm pretty sure was more on the opening day than the entire 2019 season at the other location. At the other location. That's quite a quite a change especially with 
with all the things that were happening COVID-wise. Mm-hmm. So now that you've been in there a year, you've kind of been able to get a little bit of feedback. You know, I think that's a really great thing that every business should do is after a little bit of time, be able to step back and say like, what's working, what's not, what kind of things could we change, could we tweak? And I know you can't really say that about the exhibits because Sean moves and changes exhibits all the time. That's part of what makes Miles Through Time special. It's part of you know the entire marketing and the messaging of Miles Through Time is that it is always changing. Things are moved, um, exhibits come in and out, different cars coming in, in and out. So other than rearranging, what kind of things have you seen that kind of needed to be changed or things that you needed to um, tweak a bit? So right off the bat, uh, you know, when we started in Tacoa, we had my pop's 59 Cadillac and a couple other random cars, and, and that was pretty much it. I mean, we didn't even really have any signage. I, I think you, you, you've, I don't remember how long it was, but eventually we wrote a little write-up on each of the, some of the, not even all the cars, no. and then we just stuck them in picture frames, because, like, all this shit costs money, right? So we're, we're trying to do what we can with what we have available and all that. And so one of the main things I really wanted to focus on was the museum aspect of the museum. Like I tell people, I could fill the building full of people's cars. I could just shove it full of cars. We could have probably 75 cars in there, but you're not going to walk around them. Uh, You're not going to know anything about them other than they're in there. And I mean, that's... That's, that's cool for, you know, if you just wanted to store a bunch of cars. But as far as a museum goes, I wanted you to be able to go in there and read stuff and learn something new, uh, something well, interesting. Well, that's one thing that changed, though, from the first location is that when Sean opened, he had kind of like three ideas of what could make money and what the direction was going to go. And that was a museum. But mind you, he had one car and then, you know, a couple random cars that, you know, somebody was able to put in there and then um, vehicle storage and consignment, so selling cars. And so Sean did all of those things to start off with, but you found that some of the stuff didn't really work or didn't wasn't really the direction that you wanted to do, right? So coming into the new location, it's like you had already decided, okay, storage is just kind of like as a very secondary, consignment is no more at all, and we're moving forward as, as a museum a museum 100%, right? right? Like that was a big change. That's like changing the whole flow of everything and processes and and how people were going to react when they came in. So you actually had like a a really big change going into the new location other than just a new location. Yeah, cuz there I mean there was there was confusion on so like do we have cars for sale? Are we just a dealership? Is it a museum? I mean, I had people that were like I, I'm not interested in the museum. I just want to see what you have for sale. I'm like, what are you supposed to do with that? And well, that's guess, hard when you're trying to charge people to come in like Right. And then if I say I, I got somebody that's wanting to look at a car that is for sale and I've got to do that whole car salesman thing, but then I'm still open as a museum with visitors coming in. It was it was very difficult at times, and uh, in the end, there was uh, it was not what I wanted to do, and so we we got rid of that completely. So as far as the the public is aware, uh, miles through time just changed locations, but on the back end, the business completely changed. Like actually Absolutely. closed down everything from the old location and started completely new as. A nonprofit. A nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, and then we 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 got the five hundred one c three, which took a little bit longer uh, than just filing a nonprofit, but we got all that done. Uh, and so now, like it, it changes the entire vibe and atmosphere of 
people going like it's just a museum and i still get calls you got anything for sale i'm like no it's a museum like no nothing is officially for sale in the museum now if uh, an owner of a car takes their car out after their contract is over and they want to sell it that's fine but i'm not going to sell the car inside the museum and deal with any of that kind of stuff so what were your plans with exhibits because you said you really wanted it to be um, have signage and to like change that whole atmosphere so the signage was was huge. We were definitely lacking on signage. Towards the end in Tokoa in the original location, you had designed, a I think, three posters, like full yeah. mm-hmm. movie style size posters. Well, they're supposed to be informational and tell a story because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I like about going to museums is I learn like these random things that I would have never known. Plus I learn about the exhibits, which we, we talk about this a lot, is like, why should people care? If you give people a reason to care about things, they're gonna spend more time, they're gonna enjoy themselves more they're going to refer things you know to a friend they'll be like you know you should go there because Sean has this car and the story behind his grandpa and like once you know those things so that was always something that we talked about was like how do we make people care about these and then how can we have people walk away knowing something that they didn't before and so I you know yeah we got to start a little bit at the other location but yeah we really got to go a little further this time and, and beyond just the content of what the, the information would be, uh, there was a major investment on display stands and, and how everything is presented. So not only was it uh, creating the story and, and the layout, and, but it, uh, you know, how it is displayed physically in the museum. You know, we wanted to get the signs up off the ground so that people could see it easier. We wanted more signage on the walls, and so we've got you know, facts and all kinds of interesting tidbits just scattered all over the place. So, and, and I, I talked to Tori about it. I'm like, I need somebody to go in there and literally read everything we have to read just so I could have a baseline of how long that would actually take. Because my estimate right now with the amount of stuff that we have in there, there's no way somebody could read everything that there is on display in the museum in less than an hour. There's no way. Oh, I think it'd be more than that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I think it's um, wheel through time in Maggie Valley. I think they have a thing that says that if you spent two minutes on everything that's in there, it would take you like two and a half days or something to get through the whole so thing. So much stuff. That's a lifetime collection, and it's it's amazing if you haven't been there. Like totally worth going and checking out. Um, but yeah, I could totally see that. You know, and that's something that people call and they want to know, how long is it going to take me to go through there? That way they can plan their day, they know if it's worth a drive. And so, you know, that's one of those things that you start to get feedback and you're like, okay, this is a question people are always asking. Like, I don't know, like we really need to find out how long it takes. I I mean, I really only know what I I observe when I'm there, which isn't every day anymore. Uh, And I'll, I'll I'll watch, you know, a couple come through and they're in and out in 15 minutes. But I also see that they didn't really look at anything. They, they literally glanced and just passed through. Maybe they like beelined to a specific car or something mm-hmm. like I that. I can see that. I can see them going, oh, there's this car there and that's their thing mm-hmm. and without. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that, you know, they're in there forever. They haven't even made it around the first corner yet and they've been in there for 20 minutes. You know, so I mean, it really all depends. And that's one of the changes that we did too initially uh, with the layout was just trying to find a way to s- kind of slow people down and give them a a path because you'd get those people that were only interested in a specific car and they'd wind up making a beeline to it 
and really just ignoring everything else that may or may not have interested them. But, you know, once they've seen what they wanted to see, you know, it was really easy for them to just be like, okay, well, I'm done. See, in my whole thing with that, I was like, you got to Ikea them. Ikea doesn't let you walk on through. Ikea doesn't even let you walk on through once you get to, like, the end part. I mean, they really slow you down. They really guide you through and make you keep going so that you're almost forced to look at every little thing and every knickknack and every room set up. So I'm like, you got to Ikea them. Right. We we have a really cool town built in there uh, that has all kinds of neat stuff. There's a general store. There's a dry goods store, a bank, a, a, a barber shop, and a jail. And it, I mean, the, it's really neat. And there's cool stuff to see inside of these things. And people, like if they, they would just walk right through. Because what it was, was you'd have the store on your right, all, all the storefronts, and that and that's your aisle. So you're walking right in front of it, butted up next to these storefronts. And on the left, you'd have some Model T's. And so if, if that wasn't in your wheelhouse of interest, you just kept walking super fast until you got around the corner and saw some of the more modern cars that maybe they were interested in. And so they didn't even look in because what would happen, so I, 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 I witnessed this firsthand. People would come through and they'd say, oh, this is great and all this. And I'd be like, well, did you see the, um, you know, the general store? We had all this vintage candy in there. You know, th- there's like 150 bucks worth of just old original candy on display inside this thing. And they're like, I didn't even see it. <laughs> like, well, yeah, because you walked, you walked right in it. and just like ran through the whole, like, like you could have spent 30 minutes in that whole thing, reading everything and checking out like the stories and the Model Ts. And uh, Truett built a um, old Phillips station gas station in there, like a cottage style. There's a soda shop. Nobody would even go see any of that stuff. They would just like go and go around the corner. Like, I, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we got, we Tori designed a whole sign that goes with that Phillips 66 station that like if you go, like, not everybody realizes what they're looking at. Like, it is a replica of the first Phillips 66 gas station. It's a relevant exhibit that if they they would read it, they'd go, oh, that's what I'm looking at, you know? Yeah. Which is, and there's which is all neat. kinds of cool facts about it because I did a whole bunch of research to make all the signage and things like that. And so even the, the Coca-Cola, there's like so many cool facts and things like that that I found that I was able to work into it. So then you're like, oh, well, you know, as the car, as the automobile is coming through and as like people are starting to get them, like, what is that type of era like? Like, what is it like for Coke? Like, so the soda shop, what was it like during that time? And like Sean has a bank exhibit. So I found stuff about automobile financing and the start of automobile financing and what it was like and how Ford was involved in that and how much it was. And it's like if people slowed down, they'd realize that there's a theme going on there and you could learn a lot. Like if you're going to go in there and look at these cars, why not, you know, know more about that era and and why it's relevant. Um, So slowing them down so that they would actually like stop and like be forced to at least walk by these signs, all the signage and posters and things that we made. And so after you did the Ikea, how did it go? Most of the feedback was that they they absolutely loved it. I mean, because what it would do is it forces them to look at one car on all sides, and then it puts them face forward into the stores. And so they're, they're able to look straight into it, and then they can see the sign that's right there. Like the bank one is one of my favorite ones because not a whole lot of people realize if it was up to Ford and financing, you'd get a car like you'd put layaway stuff at Walmart. That's what he wanted. 
you would put a vehicle on layaway once you paid it off. Then you got then it. Then you got it. It wasn't until General Motors is like, no, no, no. We're going to help you finance the car, which is how we all know it today. Um, and that, I mean, to me, that's fascinating. And that goes with the bank. So, I mean, you, you, you stare right at it and you can read that stuff and learn that. And you just, and you, you weave around the corner and you, it kind of takes you on a journey instead of just walking through. Another thing that happened is that Sean got donated the most amazing collections, but if that those weren't what people were interested in, again, they were just like jamming through them. <laughs> so it's hard, like how if you have something that is so interesting that there is a reason to care about, like how do you make people care about that kind of stuff and, and slow them down and make them um, at least give it a shot rather than like, I'm not interested in this, I don't care. And I think part of that is knowledge. Like once you know a little bit about something, then you're like, oh, well that's really cool. And I always think about, and we've talked about this before, when we were on one of our cruises and we went to the art seminar about... Peter Max. Peter Max. And before when we would see Peter Max, we we're like, oh, like I've seen some of that stuff, like Beatles cover and it's a little gaudy and it's all these colors. And But then once we went to the Peter Max seminar, we're like, ooh, like that is awesome, like knowing the stories and knowing why. And, and so bringing that into the museum and figuring out how, how do I make people care and how do we slow people down? See, and it really is the same because we would look at the Peter Mac stuff and be like, uh, you know, it's from the 60s. Like, I can't relate. You know, it, it looks like it's from the 60s, right? Uh, and so the, it would be the same thing in the, in the museum. You've got people that they're going for their generation that they're into. So some of the guys that are 80 years old, you know, they're looking at the Model A's and that, they love that kind of stuff. And some of the younger, you know, they remember their cars from when they were 16 and they were driving around, you know, Camaros and Challengers and like that's what they want to see. Uh, and then you got the younger, even younger ones that are, you know, doing nothing but watching YouTube that they, they want to see the Cannonball collection and they're into the 300ZX and the newer cars that some of those other guys, they're like, why are those even in here? Right. Uh, so, it, I mean, it, it, it all just... it. It's all automotive history, so you just got to take it all in. So I think that's what's important, though, is that it's not a Model T. You know, it's not a Ford museum. It's not a Model T museum. Right. It's not a new one. Like, we're really meshing all of these things together, that it's got something for everybody, and it's super cool. Like, Tesla came out, and to see these guys that are over 60, that I've, like, never seen them or anything, to see them that they went and test drove them and to, like, let get open the door to that world for them so that they care. You know, getting Truett, who is in his 50s, you know, getting him to care about the cannonball cars and now he knows about them. He's in his 60s. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting him to care about like the cannonball cars and yeah. like know about that. And like now that he knows, like now it's cool. And now he's able to share that with other people now. And it's just like opening these doors. And every time you open these doors and know a little bit about something else, I don't know, your whole world changes a little bit because you care a little bit more. You have other things to base them on. Then you start to realize that oh that's what that person was talking about because you know what I mean mm -hmm. like it starts like this web of I don't know of Absolutely. knowledge that opens up yeah so and that's where we took the rest of the museum and we made it you know like Ikea like you 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 are taken through the entire museum uh, in one direction and, and in front of everything that there is to see uh, and and that the hope for that was to eliminate skipping anything uh, because that that was definitely something that 
I observed they were which just, I understand some people are skipping things on purpose but like if you talk to somebody on the other side and you talk about the candy and they were like oh that's cool I would have been interested mm-hmm. they didn't even it's like it's unintentional skipping like they didn't even realize it because they were just guided to go through so fast well see and I know like when we visit other just general museums I can't stand it when it's just there's no path like because there's yeah, so because much then to see you don't see. know if you've seen some parts yes. of it like are we supposed to turn around and, and like go back through this yeah if it area? can keep me going in a in a line just weave me however it needs to be weaved but at least then i know i'm i'm being placed in front of everything the museum has to offer it's then up to me if i find interest in it and want to learn something more about it but at least i was i was presented to it you know and that's kind of what we wanted to to make sure that we were trying to to do for people was to at least put them in front of what it, what it is we have for them to see you know and and i think it was a i think it's been a good thing for for most people to go in there and, and do that and then we wound up i <laughs> i wound up having an issue of people finding the exit mind you how many square feet is it? it's 10 about 10,000 square feet and people are getting lost can't yeah. figure out how to get out yeah you you cannot go out the same way you came in which is part of our security process to keep everything safe. And that's how most museums and things like that are, like or like the zoo, right? Mm-hmm. You you exit through like the gift shop, right? It's a different Which place is than you. How you do it at the museum, you exit through the gift shop and there's always been an exit sign on the exit door. And so Sean gets another exit sign and yeah. then he gets a flashy sign yeah. and then he gets a spotlight. <laughs> like yeah. it's still not working. Yeah, so now, yeah, so now there's, there's an, an, an exit sign, like emergency exits, it's above the door. Then there is a curved pointed exit sign that's up high that pointing to the exit that's now lit up and flashing and then there is and it's in colors that change and then there's another spotlight in colors that flashes and points on the exit door as well then we put exit signs like stick floor stickers throughout the entire path just to let people know like you're going in the right direction and you'll find your way out and then we were at Gibbs Gardens, which is a Japanese garden that's, you know, here outside of Atlanta. And when we go, they give us like a, a map and like this, all this information. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Sean, I didn't even think about it. We can give them some type of guide and be like, here's a map. Here's where the <laughs> exit is. Like, here's where the entrance is. Here's where the exit is. We, we made a whole welcome guide. It and still doesn't get 100% of people. <laughs> but at least it's, it's just that another step. Like this wasn't working, that wasn't working. So how do we kind of adjust some things and, and give them another uh, a reason to care because now we're giving them some information and we're helping them exit. <laughs> well, and then the other thing was initially when we, when we did that Ikea path, I mean, I was pretty strict on it. Like you are going to go this way <laughs> until you get out. Well, what happens is people need to go to the bathroom or they, they, you know, whatever, they, they forgot their phone in the car um, or they're, they're volunteers and they're like, I, you know, and they're old and they don't want to walk through all that <laughs> stuff. So I wind up having uh, secret passages, you know, they're, they're not secrets. They're like, they're wide enough for somebody to pass through, to cut through all the weaving of the maze. But, you know, I, I don't want the normal visitor to go that way. I want them to, to follow the arrows on the ground and go see everything. And, and now there's a map that they get when they purchase their ticket that also tells them that. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's little thing after little thing of just slowly going and going like, let's try this, let's do this, let's improve this. Well, and even with the the welcome guide, we really were like, how many should we print? We talked about how many we should print and how many it would take for this thing. 
it's a first draft. Like really, like let's not print 9 million of them because let's change, like let's see what happens, get some feedback and then change it. And I think that's super important to do. Like don't go permanent all in with everything um, because how many people have like 9 million brochures that they never used, you know, they printed them for one thing and they're like, oh, it's a deal if we print 5,000 and then they use a hundred of them. Like, so we only, how many did you end up printing? A thousand. A thousand. Which, where are you at now with those? We're down to 20 left. Seriously? No. no. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. There's probably still like 900 left. Okay, so, you know, it's only been a couple weeks. So, you know, that was supposed to get us through a Actually, it's probably less than that, because last Saturday we had 83 people visit just on Saturday, and every one of them got one of those. And then uh, the, the Saturday after that, we had 53 people visit. And so the Saturdays are our biggest days. So just between... It's going to be a couple hundred down. Yeah, yeah. We're, but it's we're probably give getting us, close to halfway already. It's going to give us enough time that we can adjust mm -hmm. what we need to. We can correct the stupid spelling error that's on the back because I don't type very well. It's a game <laughs> if you find it. I told Riley, if you can find the spelling mistake, I will give you five bucks. <laughs> In it fact, took, it took him a while. You could make a whole game out of visiting the museum and looking at all the spelling errors all over the place. They're there. It doesn't matter. Oh my gosh, the first sign that we made was one that had like the rules on it. And you Which know, is still on display in the museum right there when you first enter. Oh my gosh, like we can spell. But you get so involved. I get, like, I get the design and, and I look over it and I spell check. The damn first sign that we said, it said something about it. Like, if you have a problem, talk to the manager. It says manger. <laughs> it says, go and talk to the manger. No, and in, in the, well, now. <laughs> if you spell check it, manger's a word. <laughs> yeah, and, and in, in the original location, it was right on the wall, right behind Did me. Did anybody ever first, say anything? Nobody ever said anything. And so the stupid brochure, the, the welcome uh, guide, instead of saying purchase, it says per case on mm -hmm. the back. So, you know, it's okay, but we only printed a thousand and so we'll end up fixing it and that's fine. It's like totally okay that it has you know, one little mistake in it, but that allows us to make changes, to make it a little bit better, to fix it, to tweak it. And you know, all those things have to do it. It seems like, you know, when we go into some museums and stuff, it looks like it's been sitting there for 20 years. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think they're doing these types of things. And I hope with anybody's business that they're making these little tweaks because it's a little tweak here and a little tweak there that a little tweak that ends up being like big changes over time. Um, I don't know if people are like, they want to make big changes. And so since they can't, they make no changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And see that to me, that's beyond, you know, being able to meet people and trigger all these stories and all that stuff that makes, you know, having a museum itself worth doing. Uh, it's fun from a, a, a business owner, entrepreneur standpoint to, to be so fluid with it. Because I, I literally have no experience beyond the experience I've accumulated doing this. So I'm a, I'm OJTing all this. I'm on the job training the entire thing. So yes. I only know what I know. So if somebody has an idea, Tori comes up like 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 the welcome guide. That was literally uh, was it one day? You told me one day. You designed it the next day. We sent it to print, and we had it at the museum in action 
Within a week. Within a week, yeah. Because it was like something I was like, I didn't even think of this. Like, and Sean's like, well, we couldn't have thought about it because it wouldn't have made sense before. Yeah, I, it's like it's the it's the perfect time to actually make that happen. You know, with the OJT thing, it's funny because I've been in business for myself for a lot longer than Sean has. And so Sean, every once in a while, will say like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, do you know how many shit things I did? I didn't know how to do it either. I still every day. Like I come up with stuff all the time that I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Figure it out. Probably screw it up. Probably spell something wrong. Whatever. <laughs> But that's the only way that you're gonna learn. And so I agree, like, man, keeping things a little bit fluid, not being super rigid and structured, like, man, that is a way to go. Because mm-hmm. that's how you're gonna improve. It's kind of like we always talk about, we see people that um, do these major renovations to their house only right before they left. Like, what the, what the hell were they doing this whole time? Yeah, that like, you could me nuts. always be, like, and these are major things. Like, you, did you not care while you were living there? Like, why would you only do improvements when you're gonna leave it? With your business too, like you can constantly just fix, just tweak, just make these little teeny changes, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And if it goes the wrong direction, switch it back, do something different again, try something else. You know what I thought about with the welcome guide too that we didn't put in there? The pinstripe guy. Oh, yeah. Because we were trying to think of, we wanted to focus on a couple of things like, again, how do you make them care? So let's pick out some exhibits, some that may not be there forever. And like, how do we make them go, oh, there's these five or six things, like go and look for those things. And then you care about those things and you might see some other things. And so there... Mark Fenio, uh, also known as Top Hat, is a, a legendary pinstriper across the nation. And he is a local legend. And so his, his, he's passed away and his daughter actually came into the museum and set up the exhibit that we have that, you know, pays homage to him. And even, didn't you put some new lights or something down there? Because there was part of it that I was like, I've seen this, but I've never even noticed that there's like all these paint cans and things, like his whole little area is all set up. Like, it's pretty cool. And again, like if people didn't know that it was there or why it was there, it'd be really easy to just kind of glance over and be like, oh, paint cans, woo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, like, if you weren't reading it stuff and you just looked, like, what is this? Right. Even the train. So Sean has this um, half-size train, and it's called The General, that was in a movie that was in the same county that the museum is in, right? Habersham County. Mm-hmm. So it was, the movie was in there from the... 50s. 50s, okay. It's called The Great Locomotive Chase. It was a Disney movie. And so this, it, there's a half-scale model that somebody has made. Now, you're like, okay, so what? This thing is made out of wood. The whole entire thing was carved from wood. It is a half-scale train. (laughs) Like, it is amazing. There are all these wood pieces like uh, like you would logs logs that you wood pieces logs right that you would put in the fire to like make the train work right and he's like carved all of these too like it's not just chunks of wood there they're all hollow and everything and like you could easily go oh wow a train but then if you knew like well the train's from a disney movie from the 50s and it was actually filmed here and like a lot of people apparently really like the movie because the people that are of that era that remember it think it's super cool well and it 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 has historical significance like the movie was also based off of something that really did happen um so that i mean there's there's a lot of cool aspects to it beyond it just like oh there's a half scale train like there's more you can learn from it yeah i think there's things with that with everything it's easy to not like because you know it you think that like oh like everybody already knows that or whatever like you really have to 
tell people what these things are to what makes it special because otherwise oh yeah a train <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like big deal but it's actually like you know super cool if you actually stopped and took a look at it and you cared about it like yeah. See, and even people, I'll see them, say they visually they look like they've got interest in whatever it is they're looking at. But I can see they're still not reading anything. So I have people come over and they're looking at this 77 Lincoln Continental we have on display. And they're, you know, I can tell they're like, oh, that's a big car. You know, it's really nice. And I'm like, you know, that's Jimmy Carter's Secret Service vehicle. It's a one of one, only one they've ever made. In fact, they didn't make convertibles in 1977. And it blows their mind. Mind you, it says all that right there, but they're not reading it. They're just like, oh, that's a cool big car. You know, and there, there's so much more there to it. So I, at least I can regurgitate that stuff and tell them that kind of thing. <laughs> Anything else that you've noticed? Any feedback that you've gotten now that you have one year in? Any you know, things that you have that you think could make it better or that you got planned? Uh, now we're bottlenecked on space again. So now it's just, it's, we need more space. And the space is, it's there as soon as we can get to it. Uh, and that, that is gonna be the next phase. And once we can do that, that'll triple the size of the museum and then it'll change the entire layout again. And uh, that'll be the next, the next level of like really being able to ramp up the museum aspect like that. That'll take our vision of what we want to do and, and really be able to put it into action. You gotta do something with that beginning part too. It needs a little love. Now there's still there's all kinds of stuff we still <laughs> need to do in, in the space that we have. Mm. Um, and it, it just it takes time and it takes money, and we have to you know be able to generate that money to to do all these things. So the more visitors we have, the more donations we get. Uh, the quicker we can start implementing some of these newer things. You just said too, because Sean's got a, um, a visitor book in the front. You said you just filled it out completely, right? Like we need to get you a new one? Uh, I think there's like one or two pages left. So That's yeah, we're going to need to do that. And then same with the pins for the map. So Sean has a big map on the wall that like you could grab a pin and then put it where you're coming from. And that way we could kind of get a, a visual representation over time of where everybody's coming from. So... Which is all over. I mean, they, they, they come from all over the place, which is pretty neat. That is pretty neat. Cool. So hopefully, like, if you're in the area, like, we would love to come, have you come out and visit the museum. Sean, you want to tell them how to get in touch with the museum, where you're at? So Miles Through Time is on social media, all the big social media. So you can just search Miles Through Time. Uh, obviously, the website is also available for you to go to, and that is milesthroughtime.com. And the museum is on Grant Street in, I don't know what the address oh, is. Yeah, the Grant address, Street if you want me to tell you the address, it's 583 Grant Street, Clarksville, Georgia. And it is within 20 minutes of the third most popular uh, little town in Georgia um, that gets visited. Um, pretty cool area. So hopefully you can come by, check it out. It's only an hour outside of Atlanta. So if you like this episode, we would greatly appreciate it if you would share it with somebody that you think would get some value out of this. And we will see you on the next one. See ya. If you want to get smart tools to build your business, go to BeSmartAL.com.